Oh, Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be. But let's all stand, please. We're going to just open with a word of prayer. We jump on in. Stand if you're able to. We're going to be sitting for a little bit, so it's good to stand. And I'm going to go ahead and open us with a word of prayer, and we'll jump right on in. So, Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather today in what the Bible calls the Lord's Day. This day, this place, and ourselves, everything belongs to you, God, including ourselves. We're bought at the price of the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for adopting us into the family that we call the family of God. We're part of the body of Christ globally, your eternal family. But, Lord, we have to learn about these new ways. There's a, a new life in Christ that you've given us, and we're learning about that in this book that we call Romans. So, Father, we ask, can you please open up our understanding? Help us, Lord. These, these things are tough. They're, in fact, impossible for us to discern because they are spiritually discerned. We ask that you would open up our understanding. Help us to hear clearly from you, God. Speak to us, minister to us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. So I want to talk to you today about butterflies as we open up. By the way, this is uh, one that the church owns. This is great. You want to guess? Well, what color is this, by the way? Some of you on video, you might not be able to see. What color is it? (laughs) Oh, wow. What color is it? Yellow. <laughs> All kinds of different colors we're getting. All right. Yeah, iridescent. That's probably the closest that. <laughs> okay. That's probably the closest, I guess, right? So it's kind of like a bluish. Guess what color the backside is, by the way? Oh, you've probably seen it before. It's actually brown. Isn't that interesting? So some would say when it falls from the sky, when it's flitting around, if you're to look up, say you're a predator, you might see it as a leaf that's just following. So I want to talk to you today, though, about butterflies. In nature, how does this start out? It starts out as a caterpillar. So the caterpillar starts off life not flying, but what? Crawling. It'll crawl around. It's extremely hungry. It's got a voracious appetite. It'll eat things like what? Like leaves. It could consume a lot of food. Then one day, it's going to crawl up higher. It's going to... Many times it'll do this. It'll attach itself to the underside of, say, a branch or a leaf. And then it will form something. Some would call it a cocoon. But for butterflies, I believe the technical term is a chrysalis. It'll weave something together called a chrysalis. It'll start to spin this chrysalis together. And then it actually has itself within this chrysalis. And it's going to appear as dead for a while. It it will actually... I don't know the term, but it'll kind of decompose its body. It's like a soup inside, which is kind of weird to think. As going through something, this change, this process, what do we call that process? It's a metamorphosis. And when the butterfly emerges out of the chrysalis, it leaves it never to go back to that, hear this out, old life again. It leaves the chrysalis never to go back to its old life again. Is it even possible for the butterfly to crawl back into the cocoon and to become the caterpillar again? No, it's not. 
And so just like the born-again Christian, you and I as well have gone through a metamorphosis, a change, a transformation. And for you and I, the external is not a chrysalis or cocoon. The external looks the same to you and me and to the world. Your ID will still say the same, but your identity now is in who? In Christ. So you and I are to live in this new nature, which is now in Christ, that God has created for us in this metamorphosis that we go through. But just like the butterfly that has to learn to live in its new nature, you and I also have to learn to live in our new nature. Does that make sense? We have to learn. And it's an experiential learning. How many of you guys know that? You can't just read it. You have to heed it, right? You have to apply it. And it's experiential. You might pray as I do. Oh, Lord, I've been praying. <laughs> Take this thing away from me. And then it doesn't go away. And you find that maybe that storm in your life is either called by him to come into being or allowed and he doesn't take away the storm, but he gives you what through the storm? Many times he gives you peace through the storm. Why? Because you and I have to learn to live in this new life, which is now no longer, we want to say biblically, in Adam, born a sinner, just like Adam, the original who sinned, Adam and Eve. And now every human being is born a sinner, and we sin because we're born sinners because of Adam. That's what the Bible teaches, especially in the book of Romans. The butterfly, though, can't live in its old nature. It's no longer a caterpillar. So, too, the born-again Christian has to learn to live in our new nature, which is now in Christ. And the problem for many of us is that many of us might go through life and if you're like me, we picked up a lot of sin. We wouldn't want to glorify the sin or the flesh, but we may have picked up a lot of sin through many, not just years, but if you're like me, decades. And you come to the Lord and you go, oh my, but what about this one? What about this one, Father? I know you saved me because of the blood of Jesus. And he died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave. But Lord, all this junk that's still going on in my heart and in my head. And as if the Father might tell me, as he tells you, once you're in Christ, once you're now in that new nature, it's as if he might whisper to your heart, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, he doesn't say those exact words, perhaps. But you are now in Christ. And because you're in Christ, his only begotten son, Jesus, when he first sees you, he first sees Jesus. So how do you think he sees you? Perfect. Isn't that amazing? Complete. Holy. That's why we're called saints. Holy. Because you are now in Christ, in Messiah Jesus. And because of him, you are declared righteous, in right standing. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is as a person. And not because of what you can do, or definitely not what you've done, but because of what he did as he died on the cross and he said, it is what? Finished! Everything that is required for your eternal salvation, everything for your, what we call sanctification, which is what we're going to be talking about here in Romans 6. Actually, Romans 6, 7, and 8 collectively are great to read and study together. It goes over the 
new life now in Christ. This new life. I looked this up from the Academy of Natural Sciences of Drexel University. And they said this about the butterfly going through its metamorphosis. That when this butterfly is in the chrysalis, they say this, quote, it may look like nothing is going on, but big changes are happening inside. Again, it may look like nothing is going on, but big changes are happening inside. And Christian, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are born again Christians, that's a great picture for you and me. Why? It may look like nothing is going on, but big changes are happening inside. And as we learn even from this book in Romans chapter 1, we can see that God actually reveals himself amidst nature, amidst his creation. And we study something even like the butterfly, and we see the life transformation that it has. It's a, wow, what a wonderful picture. What a great illustration, a story of you and me. So I think the butterfly is a great picture of what God is currently doing in each of our lives as Christians. That he might look at you and just like the beautiful butterfly that flits around now in the light, catches the rays of the sunshine. Some of them go from flower to flower, picking up and eating what? Nectar. Some of them don't eat. But many of them, they'll go and they'll go from flower to flower. They, they actually eat nectar. When there was a caterpillar, it ate leaves. But now, as a butterfly, it's going to go from flower to flower for the eyes to see, for you and me to see. So here in Romans 6, we learn about this metamorphosis within. And God's going to show us, let me just say it this way, three key steps that you see here. I'm calling this today, knowing, reckoning, presenting that we actually can lift off the text knowing reckoning and presenting so god's going to show us three key steps in romans 6 not sure how much we'll get through today but he shows us in chapter 6 three key steps that he wants to do in your life as you are going through this metamorphosis going through the growth changes so this is also known as what we call this sanctification process let's just go ahead and jump on in Chapter 6, we're in Romans 6, verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? All right, so just a quick recap. As we got to chapter 5, we learned about what we call the much more grace of God, the much more grace of God. God doesn't just give you grace. He gives you much more grace. And it's, I think it's helpful maybe for us to do another recap here on the board. Let's see what color should I use? We're going to talk about sin a little bit. Just a recap. Again, what are some sins that we can get in? Don't get specific. Don't name names. But what are some sins that we can do? Some of you guys are not. What are some sins that we can do? covetousness disobedience okay what's that lying Lying. covetousness lying these by the way these are two of the ten commandments idolatry uh disobedience i think i heard right that's that's a sin some of you guys might not know that but god considers that a, a sin let's just get a couple more what else could be considered a sin anger okay well anger could lead to rage 
Okay, the Bible says, be angry with sin not. Unbelief, that's a sin, actually, yeah, that's the unpardonable sin. Uh, unbelief, stealing. Okay, all right, let's just pause there. So all of us, let's just say this is your account. This is your board. This is a great way to illustrate it. Now, forgiveness would be this, even say if this is your account, your life here, your spiritual bank account, so to speak, with God. Forgiveness would be like taking the sins and then you're just drawing a line through them. And your bank account, it's, it's like the credit and the debit. It's still there on the records. It's still there on the account. Hopefully you guys could see this here. Forgiveness would be like the banker saying, oh, you know, you don't have to pay that back. It's already forgiven. There's 10000 on this side. I'm going to give you credit on 10000 on that side. And you say, oh, thank you. It's still there on the record, though, isn't it? So that's forgiveness. What we're learning about in the book of Romans as found nowhere else quite uh, expansively and, and helpfully, like in the book of Romans, is now if someone were to take your accounts and not just forgive you your debt, but wipe the slate clean. Now, this is totally something else. What do we call this, according to the book of Romans? That's justification. Justified. And I'll say it that way. Why? Because it's justified. This is a simple way to remember it, but technically, theologically, that's actually accurate. It's justified, never sinned. So when God looks at you and you're in Christ... You're not just forgiven. He gives you forgiveness, but your sins and the record is wiped clean. Anybody feel joyful just because of that alone? I do. Amen, right? Praise God for that. So it's justified, never sinned. That's justification. And on top of that, we looked at in the last chapter, if that alone wasn't good enough and grand enough, the much more grace of God, what does he give you? He gives you things like, you learn, right? The much more grace of God. You get grace on top of forgiveness, on top of being justified, where he wipes the slate clean. He's going to add more to your account. This is like you have an account where you owe a bazillion dollars. I mean, think of it like an astronomical. Who, who here can think of an astronomical? can't even say the word. Astronomical amount. A trillion, like the national debt or something. Let's say you owed a trillion dollars and on top of, on your account, you wake up one morning and on top of not own, owing a trillion dollars, but it's now wiped clean. On top of that, more is added to your account. That's a weak way because it, it does not equate to what God actually does. It's way less. But it's one way that we can comprehend, right, and understand this side of eternity. On top of him wiping the slate clean, taking away the debt, he also adds to your account. And this is the much more grace of God, where he gives you things like grace. He gives you even eternal life. What? I get eternal life. What did I do? Sin. What did he do? Die for your sin. This is the much more grace of God. You get things like Grace, you get eternal life. You also declared, are declared what? Righteous. He gives you righteousness. He actually imputes, as we call it, adds to your account, righteousness. This doesn't make sense, does it? 
But this is why we need a book like the book of Romans to study this and to see what God has actually given you. Now, the devil hates this. The devil is the father of lies. He'd rather tell you, oh, you're no good. When God finds out what you did, he's going to take away your salvation. He's going to kick you out of heaven. Anybody hear those kind of lies throughout the years? I used to hear that a lot. Or maybe you believe lies from the past. Well, this is actually what the Bible teaches, especially localized here in this book that we call the book of Romans. So after God forgives Christians of their sins through the blood of Jesus, on top of that, God justifies us by wiping the record clean, taking away the debt. It's justified, never sin. And on top of that, he also gives you what we just call in the last chapter, the much more grace of God. This is why you must study and read through the entire Bible, going through books of the Bible. Why? Because you don't get this by just doing cherry picking one verse here, one verse there. But when you see what these five chapters are adding up to, you go, oh, my Lord, it just humbles me before the grace of God. I simply want to admit my sin to him. Why? Because he wants to give this to your account. And the devil does not want you to know this. So as he teaches us and as we learn that I get all this added to my account and I did zero for it. The fact is, while we were still in our sins, what did Christ do? He died for us. That's what the Bible says. And that's what happened. So in the much more grace of God, you and I not only are forgiven our debts of sin, you and I not only have this eradicated away because it's justified, never sin, where he wipes the slate clean. On top of that, he adds to your account, so to speak. He imputes, as we call it, righteousness. He gives it to you. You don't work for it. It's a gift. You receive it. You receive the much more grace of God. So now as we get into chapter 6, by the way, that's just kind of a recap here. Now as we get into chapter 6, look at this. In verses 1 and 2, like we are looking at, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's asking the question now because Paul asked the question because he anticipates that there's going to be some that will sit there and go, wow, if I get this and it's all free and I did nothing for it but believe and receive, I could stay living in sin. I could keep sinning and the grace of God, the much more grace of God is just going to cover it. And so he's anticipating that question as we open up chapter six. That's verse one. Verse two, he answers that question. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? All right. So the born again Christian is dead to sin. If you're a born again Christian today, you are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. Galatians 2 verse 20. Another passage that Paul wrote. He says, I am crucified with what? With who? With Christ. I am crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Christian is dead to sin. Just like the butterfly, using it as an illustration, a picture, the butterfly is dead to that old life. The butterfly can no longer be what? 
a caterpillar. And you as a Christian, you can no longer live according to sin. But I still struggle with stuff. That's why Romans 6, 7, and 8 are there. Okay, So please study along with us. I want to encourage you to keep coming every Sunday because what happens is as these chapters and these verses unfold, God is giving you through the Apostle Paul writing this book that we call Romans, some of the grand keys that you and I need for a fruitful life in Christ. So you're dead to sin. I'm crucified with Christ. Now what? Well, going further, we're also buried with Jesus through baptism into death. Now, this isn't water baptism. We're going to get into this. Look at this in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is not speaking of the water baptism, but how we were birthed into the body of Christ. So you're dead to sin. We're also buried with Jesus through baptism. So dead, buried. This is why water baptism is so extremely important. Dead to sin, buried with Jesus through baptism. But it doesn't end there. It's like the much more grace of God. But wait, there's more. You're also resurrected to Look at this in verse four. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you're resurrected to, quote, walk in newness of life. Just like, again, just as an illustration here, like the caterpillar who comes out of the chrysalis as a butterfly now has a new life, a new method of transportation. It no longer can crawl. What does it do? It's able to fly. It doesn't look the same even. I remember even looking at it, studying it, it, even the mouth, the mandible and the digestive system is totally transformed. It's no longer chewing on leaves. Some, but not all butterflies, will eat the nectar out of flowers. Just like you and I, we now have a different food. Some of us, we've been chewing on the bad news of news. It could be CNN. Certainly not news. <laughs> and we've been chewing on that stuff. And that might be the negative news, the bad news. And it, it has a way of poisoning your heart. Anybody realize that? Okay. It kind of poisons you. Even Fox News after I'm like, man, you guys, can you just report on something good? For a while. That's why God gives us the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and the good news from his word. Amen. You and I must consume this. So we have a different sort of food now. So continuing on, you and I are now resurrected to this new life. You and I first need to know. So we're going to talk about knowing. Now, why are we talking about this? This is step one of, of three. First off, again, the devil does not want you to know this. The devil does not want you to know this. The devil wants you to, no, don't read your Bible. No, don't gather with these Christians and carry out by the cross because you're going to go through the Bible. You want entertainment. You want something to tickle your flesh. You want someone to tickle your ears. Like, wow, that's actually happening today. What you need is real spiritual food. Like Peter wrote, as newborn babes desire the, what? The pure milk of the word. Why? That you may grow thereby. The only thing God gives you and I for spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is his word. And you and I must read 
must apply, must teach and preach this. Amen? We must. We're commanded to. So we need to know this. You're going to hear this over and over. Look at verse 3 again. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Again, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in, notice what it says, newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. You and I have been crucified with Christ, buried with him in baptism, and also resurrected with him. Look at verse 6. Again, knowing this. Step 1 and 3 for chapter 6. For the new Christian, the sanctified saint, how old you are in Christ, doesn't matter. You and I got to get to chapter 6 in our walks. What's the first thing of 3? Knowing. Knowing this, verse 6 says, that our old man was crucified with him. Hey, this is going to maybe deliver someone today. And I praise God that it probably will. This is helpful to me. I, I hope and pray this is helpful to somebody here, whether it's someone listening online, watching and listening to the recording, or maybe it's you here, that you need to know this, the old man. And maybe you're a gal like, I don't have an old man. Okay, the old woman, right? The old person was crucified. Notice it says with who? With him, with Jesus. Do you know that? You need to know this. It says knowing this that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And right away, your flesh and your pride, for someone who's probably getting tickled, like, what? I'm not a slave. How many of you here, you get, you're, you get like ruffled feathers when you hear that you're a slave? Is that anybody? I'm the only one? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not a slave. I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> now, how many of you, you came to Christ, your eyes were open, and you realized, man, I, I was eating garbage, thinking this was great, giving this garbage out to others. You and I were slaves to what? To sin. Slaves to sin. By the way, do you know that the, the most free human being that's alive right now is the born-again Christian? You need to know this, Christian. Again, knowing this, knowing why? Because the enemy will lie to you. And I used to be on the other side lying. The enemy will lie to you and tell you things like, no, you, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. It's all a bunch of do's and don'ts and you can't do stuff. There's, you know, there's no freedom there. How many of you, before you came to Christ, you thought your freedom would be taken away? Is there any of you? Come on, be honest here. Come on, you guys are like, come on, raise your hand up. Is that any of you? Look how ubiquitous this is. Be honest. Can you put up your hand? Raise your hand. I'm gonna. We thought coming to Christ is like all your freedoms be taken away. Look around the room now. Look at this is ubiquitous, meaning it's like it's in all of us, right? That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie Satan wants to tell you. That's a lie of your flesh, because your flesh will know that I gotta follow Christ. And he tells me to take up my cross. Your flesh does not want to what? What does your flesh not want to do? You guys say it like you got no passion behind it. What does your flesh not want to do? Your flesh doesn't want you to say it, does it? No. Your flesh does not want you to what? Die. To die. Say it again. Your flesh does not want you to? Die. To die.
Because in order for you to die to your flesh, die to the old life, that Adam life, that we even illustrated with some of the sins, that means you got to go to a cross. Your flesh knows it's going to die. And some of you are probably fighting to come here today. Why? Because the flesh does not want to what? To die. And yet you need to know this. This is one of the things that will amount to freedom. So Drew, you mentioned that you know, born-again Christians, we're the most free people. Why? Because in Adam, before you became a born-again Christian, for the born-again Christians, before you became a born-again Christian, all you could do was one thing. What was that? Sin. Say it again. Sin. Sin. You need to know that. Again, knowing these things. Knowing. All you could do is sin. You're programmed to sin. Why? Because of Adam. You were birthed into this fallen world as a sinner. So we looked at this. You sinned not because it was just your choices. You sinned because that was your identity. A sinner. So God's got to change your identity. And once you're a born again, spirit filled Christian, God comes to live within you. Now you're the most free person on earth because you actually have a choice now. There's liberty in Christ and God's not wanting you to. And I certainly don't want you to go back to that life. But you got to realize that's actually a choice. Anybody here know that that's a choice that the Holy Ghost gives you every time. Anybody know that you're about to sin and he knows that you won't give you the papaos. You know what happens? Like, okay, don't watch this one guy. Are you trying to like, I don't hear you. I don't hear you. Ah, like a child. Anybody was like, I grew up with a sister. Anybody play that game? Ah, I can't hear you. Ah, I can't hear you guy. Ah, but you know inside. You know inside. Cause that, why? Cause that's a Holy Ghost job, right? John's gospel. Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of what? Three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's his job. And when he comes to live within you, Good Lord, you pump up the volume, right? He's got a still small voice. Sometimes it feels like it's shouting. He's still a gentleman, but he's trying to get your attention and mine. And now you have freedom in Christ. Before becoming born again, you had no freedom. All you could do was what? Sin. There's no liberation there. You're programmed for failure because of dad, not your physical dad, Adam. So you're born a sinner, you're destined to sin, so God had to give you what? A new destiny. Your identity was in Adam, so what did God have to do? He'd have to give you a new identity. Now it's in who? In Christ. Just like the butterfly now has a new identity. So this first step, you and I must know. It's knowing that that old man is dead. Don't go back to those old ways. God, through his grace, and I don't know how he allows it, but he still allows us to make that choice. Why? Because you have to choose in Christ to love him. And how many of us know you can't force love? What happens when you force love? We bounce, right? (laughs) And that's not the way of God. That's not the way of the Heavenly Father. So he's going to corner you. He don't let anybody, he don't play. He don't let anybody get away with anything. And he's going to lovingly convict you, not condemn you, convict you. Why? That you would confess to him and simply come to him. And as you and I do that, 
oh, Lord, why am I doing this? God, what do you need to do? Just ask him for that empowerment. But you got to know. Let's continue reading on. Verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. So some of you are still struggling with the same, maybe it's sins of the flesh. Again, we looked at like anger. Be, sin, be angry and sin not. If you don't keep that in check, it, anger turns into something different. Rage, out of control. Now that's sin. That's something you got to look at as because it's sin. That's something that murdered Jesus. And if you could imagine whether it's that or sexual immorality or, I mean, there's tons of sins. Whatever that sin is, if you could imagine and picture Christ being murdered for you on the cross, taking your place, I don't know about you, but that, that's a pretty good wake-up call. Does that help anybody? For me, it's a wake-up call. Oh, Lord. It's, it's as if I'm murdering him afresh, but he's not going to go to the cross again. He died for the While we're still in our sins, Christ died for us. So knowing I have died. I need to be freed from sin. You got to know this. Now, if we, verse eight, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Here's another knowing. Look at verse nine. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Notice the capital H. Now I'm teaching out of our, our, our teaching, uh, Bible translation. Greatest, I believe, in the English language that exists right now for in-depth Bible study and research. New King James, Thomas Nelson, New King James Version Bible. Look at the pronoun for him. And we're like in our society right now. Everybody's like talking about pronouns, right? <laughs> God's a masculine God, right? Look, no longer has dominion over, look at that pronoun, him. What's the H? Is it lowercase or uppercase? Uppercase. So who's that speaking of? Speaking of Jesus. The subject is Jesus, knowing that Christ, speaking of Christ, death no longer has dominion over him. Why? Because he was raised from the dead. So once you have a born again experience, once you're born again, your life is anew, you now are dead to those old things. Your, your slate is wiped clean. It's justified never sin. And on top of that, he will give to your account things like grace, eternal life, righteousness, tons of stuff. He's a guy that will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. And that begs the question, wow, I get a get out of jail, free sinning kind of card. No, this is why he's getting into this because he knew strategically people would be asking that. So knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. So you and I first need to know as we follow Christ, that's really the term Christian, to follow after Christ in his ways. So as we do now as born again, spirit-filled Christians, we follow him in his ways. Death, after his resurrection, death no longer has dominion over him. How about you and me? The life of death, the life of sin. No, this isn't speaking about the fact that you're not going to physically die. I don't want anybody to leave here. Yeah, that preacher was mentioned. I'm never going to die. And then you jump in front of a train and, and the Lord's like, you're here too soon. I'm not telling you to do that. Okay. We're talking more like the spiritual death. But what about like that sin that we keep doing that leads to a life of death? Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. All right, 
So verses 1 to 10 speak of this, of knowing, knowing, knowing. We're going to get into step 2 of 3 here. Reckoning, reckoning. Look at verse 11. Romans 6, verse 11. Likewise, you also, it says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So after step 1 of knowing that we now have a new nature and it's in Christ, now we come to step 2. So some of us, we're not experiencing that abundant life in Christ. John chapter 10, Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Some of us are not experiencing a fruitful life and walk for our walks as well as those we might want to serve and love and minister to. Some of us are still struggling over issues of sin. It might be that these strategies here written by God are meant for you and meant for me, which it is. So what do we got to know after knowing that we have, we're, we're dead to those old ways, dead to that old life. The caterpillar is no longer in existence, so to speak, for the butterfly. But again, as Christians, we're no longer programmed to just sin. I can choose to love him and say no to sin and yes to him. And then what happens? I spiritually grow. I spiritually grow. I spiritually grow. And you're going to get that. How many of us, you you know that you're going to get an opportunity for spiritual growth and maturity every single day. Raise your hand if you know that. Because that's a life in the walk in Christ. So we got to know these things. So when that old man, excuse me for the ladies, the sisters in the house, when the old gal, right? Like Lazarus, want to come and get resurrected again? Sometimes you got to tell yourself, uh-uh, I'm going there. I'm not going there. I need to die to you because you're already dead. I got to know this. But that old man, that old woman wants to come and creep back in. That's why Jesus says, you want to follow after me? You want to be his disciple? Luke 9 verse 23. He gives you a three-step program there, which is one and the same. You want to be his follower? Step one, deny what? Self. There's a lot of churches this morning preaching about self. What a tragedy. He says, deny self. Step two, take up your cross. And Luke says daily. Take up your cross daily. Oh, the Christian walk. It's such a daily struggle, right? How many of you, you know that? It's daily. Guess who knows that more than you? God. Guess who's provided for you? God. And guess who's waiting for you to come to him, come to the Father through Christ, crying out for the Holy Spirit's empowerment? God. He's provided a path. This is God's growth plan for your life. So after knowing, now we come to step two of three, reckoning. This word reckon, you're like, that sounds too weird. Is that just a big biblical term? When you look at the original language, reckon, here's some synonyms. It means to compute. It means to calculate. It means to determine. It can mean to purpose or count up or weigh the reasons. You have to reckon it. You have to count it up. How many of you know math? Okay. A couple of you know math. I know Hattie knows math. She handles the finances. <laughs> okay, Hattie, you got you to teach like dozens of people here. <laughs> All right. You know simple math, right? You go to the gas station, you got 20 bucks, and gas costs $5, which, praise God, is not <laughs> anymore. <laughs> How many gallons, roughly, can you buy with 20 bucks if it's $5 a gallon? Four. Okay, simple math. So you have to compute, you have to calculate. I have to reckon, notice this again in verse 11, 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. You have to calculate. You have to compute in your mind. It's stupid for me to live a life enslaved to sin because you freed me. That is, forgive me, I'm giving you this big theological term this morning. It's stupid. That's the way I tell myself. It's stupid. It's not smart. It's not wise. You have to compute. You have to reckon is the word here. So reckon, and by the way, you need to know this. When something's automatic or easy, guess what God does not do in the New Testament? He doesn't command you. So guess what this is written as? In the original Greek language, reckon is a command. That means it's not if you feel like it. Don't obey your feelings, by the way. Your feelings are fickle. They're going to change. It's your flesh. Reckon is a command. In the original language, it's called an imperative. So God is commanding you and I, once we know that that old life is dead, I have to compute. I'm commanded to now reckon. You don't just turn off your brain, turn off your mind. I have to reckon, calculate, compute the fact that I cannot live in that way anymore. And how many of you know, most of us will keep sinning. It's like the prodigal son. Anybody remember that passage? You just know, like that prodigal son or prodigal daughter, man, if I simply turn and head back home, man, I'm paraphrasing this story. It's better for me. You know, they already spent his all his money. God, uh, Dad, I, I don't want to be part of your family anymore. It's like he's saying, you're dead to me. Give me my portion of the inheritance. And for the Jews, here's what the messed up part of the story. For the Jews, guess what their inheritance was? Land, property. So who is a Jew going to sell the property to when the other Jews are like, no, bro, you got to keep that within the family. God tells you and commands you and in the scriptures, do not give away the promised land. That's messed up. So some would speculate what Jesus is actually alluding to is might be that for the Jew that wanted to leave and say, dad, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance before you die. And he goes and takes that money and spends it on prostitutes and what they call like prodigal living. It's a way of saying, you're dead to me. It's like telling God, you're dead. You don't exist. But Jesus may have been alluding to the fact that for a Jew to do that in that parable, that, that story, he may have had to sell the promised land, his portion of the allotment, perhaps to a Gentile. It's like, wow, that's way worse than for a Jew. And he goes and he spends the money on prostitutes, whatever it is, like all this prodigal living. That's the prodigal son. Sexual morality, drugs, alcohol. That used to be my life. And at some point, you got to come to your senses. This is this word here. You have to reckon, you have to calculate, you have to compute. Like the prodigal son. If I just go back home, my dad's servants are living better than me. I have wasted all my money. I got nothing else left. I got no more friends. And this used to be my life. Because when you got money, I remember after my mom died, I was 17 in 1986. My mom died. And I go to the, the mailbox. We had a, a huge house. There's a two-story, five-bedroom uh, house that me and my sister were in. She got the upstairs. I lived downstairs. Uh, I had like two bathrooms downstairs, three bedrooms. It's a pretty big house in Orange County, California, after her mom died. I was 17 at the time. So after she died, all these things started kind of executing, like her life insurance and all that. I remember going to the mailbox and shouting out to my sister, Jill! 
got another check. How much? 30000 It's Like, we got, like, all this money. And I was a kid. I was a DJ. And guess what that meant? Records! <laughs> you know? Lights and all that kind of stuff. And we just wasted it away. I go, like, spend out, you know, my, my money on friends and all. And guess what I, I started to amass really quickly? Friends. <laughs> guess what they were not? Friends. Those guess what happens to the friends? They go too, right? So I've experienced that. Money can't buy you happiness, though. And I remember, though, thinking in certain times of my life, you know, for some of us it might be when you hit rock bottom, when the money is gone or whatever. But for me, a couple of times in my life, <laughs> I had to go through the school of hard knocks a couple of times. Didn't graduate the first time, I guess. <laughs> I'm still going through it. But I remember... Come into the Lord, kind of like the prodigal son. If I just go back home to dad, my heavenly father, I have to compute. I have to reckon. That's way better than living this life of sin. And some of us, we might not get to even like what I call the third step here. And God's showing us in chapter six, where it, it leads to a better life in Christ Simply because maybe this whole thing of like knowing, maybe the devil's preventing me from knowing his word and knowing the truth. The, and going to churches actually teach the truth because the church is a pillar and ground of what? The truth. The truth. And so after knowing the reality that we have a new nature in Christ, now we have to reckon. Reckon that old woman, that old man, dead. I have to reckon myself dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you must reckon yourself. Do this. Just to break it down. You must reckon yourself, number one, dead to sin. This is a command. If if not, and you're still going out, and maybe it's sins of sexual morality, drugs, alcohol, partying. That was me, and I used to promote that lifestyle. If not, then you're still stuck in step one. There's going to be no, no life in Christ. It's like, that person, yes, probably die and then go to heaven, but no spiritual growth, no spiritual maturity. That's sad, and that breaks my heart. And I could at least a little bit sympathize with that because that was me for so long. So what do we do? So praise God for what he's telling us, or we have to reckon. I have to understand. I, I have to compute, to calculate that I need to be dead to sin. And then what's the second thing? I'm alive to God. This is where the door turns. It's like going through the door, like, oh, now, I have to live in this new life. The butterfly has to learn to fly. I remember thinking of this before. It was a caterpillar before, and what was his mode of operation or mode of transportation? It would crawl. So it's, it's kind of funny to think that a butterfly, if it tries to go back to the old ways and it can't, it's like a butter crawl, is not able to fly. <laughs> Silly. But God wants that butterfly to be able to fly, to be how God simply created it to be now, just like you and me. So you must reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. When you're dead, you're dead to sin. But God, you don't understand. I've got rights. I've got you know this and that. I've got plans. I've got my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, my desires in life. So guess what you got to do to that? Die. No, but I don't want to. And right now, someone's flesh and someone's pride is like, no, it's all about me. 
And right now, you're, someone's flesh is probably like, I don't want to die today. I've been praying for this goal. It's got to happen. <laughs> Hold on to it. But the Spirit of God might be telling you, what about that dream? Die. And if it's of God, guess what he'll do? He'll resurrect it, man. I mean, think about that. Even for this church plan, I remember I had to die to it. It's like, okay, God, I guess it's never going to happen. And then he brought it about in a way that I, I thought wasn't going to happen. Like, oh, yes, you are in this. He could resurrect it. So when you're dead, you're dead to sin. Let's continue on. Verse 12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not, this is the third thing here, third step. Do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Hey, this word for present, it could mean, quote, to place a person or thing at one's disposal. God, my eyes are at your disposal. I present my eyes to you. God, my ears, whatever it is, whatever's causing you to sin, perhaps, what do you need to do with that body part, that member? And I'm not talking about member of the church. That, and I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about you. And you know yourself better than me. And guess who knows you better than you? God. So Holy Ghost is actually through chapter 6. You're accountable for that, which you know now. So God is asking you, asking someone here, maybe a bunch of you right now, those things that maybe are causing you to live that old life, He's causing you to want to now present that member, whatever is your eyes, your whatever, your right thumb, okay? Whatever that member is of your body to present it to him. God, I place this at your disposal. You're to use my eyes from now on. You know, many of us as guys, and I just call it for what it is. We, our, our problem sometimes is the eyes, Maybe seeing a girl walk by and in the world, like, ooh, cat calls and all that. Guess what we got to do? We got to be like, you know, in the Bible, I make a covenant with my eyes. Or now I remember learning from other Christian and I had to pray through this and, and really still do this. Go, God, before this person, I did this even with my wife, Susan, before any girl is going to ever be my wife, she's what? She's a heavenly father's daughter. And now that I have a daughter, I'm like, yeah, you don't look at a daughter the same way. So if I could imagine that. Think about it. This might bring practical help for some of the guys. I don't know. But Lord, and I'm not saying look at it and go like, oh, hey, bro, after 10 minutes, like, oh, I'm just checking out God's beauty. I'm not talking about that. Okay, that's, that's also going to lead to sin. But whatever your member is that you need to present to God, the Holy Ghost will illuminate it for you. He's going to show you. Whether gal or guy, he's going to show you. He's probably speaking to you right now to do what? To present that to God as being alive from the dead and present that member of your body as an instrument of righteousness. So here's a question for you, Christian. I know we're going to close. We're going way over our time. But here's a question for you. That whatever that thing is, that body part that you have, and, and we all, I'm not going to point a finger, we all mess you know mess with this we all struggle with these things this is why god gives us a practical biblical way out and the the answer for it so you and i grow and mature in christ 
But whatever that thing is, and each and every one of us is probably being grilled by the Holy Ghost, you can actually, in his strategy, use it for your spiritual growth and maturity as part of God's growth plan for your life, man. So instead of it being something that would just drag you down and now your life is just a whole bunch of prayers of of what? Repentance. Oh, I got a prayer life. My my prayer is always, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. I don't, don't, let me do that again, God. I promise this time, God. You know why that doesn't work? Because that's living a life empowered by an Adam, let's say, self. And so many of us, that, that was our upbringing or that legalistic type of life or culture. That's all empowered from self. But God's giving you empowerment through the scriptures, empowered by the spirit that I need to not only know that I'm dead to those old things, I need to also you know, get to the step three, as we call it here, present that member now as an instrument of righteousness. So here's a question, Christian. I'm going to have to close here soon. But here's the question. How can you take that member of your body that's causing you to fall or sin or all the above, how can you give that to God now, present it to him as his instrument of righteousness? Think about that. If it's your eyes, how can you dedicate your eyes to God as now an instrument of righteousness? So it's not just like a car going reverse and then you you pray and repent and now you're back to what? Neutral. You sin, reverse. <laughs> you you cry out to God and repent. And now it's back in neutral, but you're like, keep going backwards. I'm talking about not putting it in a park, but putting it in a drive and, and positively moving forward. Because now, you and I, as we go through stuff in life, it could be used perhaps by God so that you mature, so that I mature. Does it make sense, guys? So this is what he's saying here again in verse 13. Present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So whatever member of your body is causing you to sin, you need to present that member to God as instruments of righteousness to God. If your eyes cause you to fall, then present your eyes to God. If if your ears cause you to fall, present your ears to God. To God as an instrument of righteousness. God, how can I use my ears now for your righteousness? Does that make sense? And you'll see that God was actually waiting for you all the while on this side of it. On like the second half of Romans 6. Where we're maybe just living our, our lives and this born again Christian reality in just like the first part of chapter 6. Like I know I'm in sin. I know I need to live in this new life. So what do I do? So his practical <coughs> biblical solution is to present your member as an instrument of righteousness to God. I'm going to I'm going to have to close just cuz we're way over our time now. So, let's all stand please. Again, whatever your member is, maybe it's uh eyes. Job made a covenant with his eyes. You and I could do the same. Okay, no matter what it is. Well, I don't have anything. Yes, you do. We all do. Okay? You know what that is? It's because God loves you. And before you die, he wants you to grow. He's preparing you for eternity with him. And the only way for you to grow and heal and mature is that we have to realize that as he puts himself, think about it, he puts himself into us. He's a Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. He's going to train you for holiness. He's going to point out all the stuff that's hurting you and hurting your relationship with him, right? And he wants us to simply confess these things to him.
And then that's, that's going to be our path for growth with God. And so, Father, we thank you for what you show us in your word. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us, God. We want to dedicate ourselves to you, Lord. But it's a, a work that comes from your power. We can't just do it in our willpower. So, Father in heaven, we ask that you would enlighten us, that you would open up our understanding of these things. Father, I ask for my many brothers and sisters here, can you please help them with that that one pesky sin that they're dealing with or still struggling with or whatever it is. Maybe it's because they're, they're still handling it in the old life, the old ways, in Adam. Help them to turn to you, even as we're learning now in Romans chapter 6, that they would present that member to you as now an instrument of righteousness. And because you command these things and you expect us to, you're waiting for us, God. Maybe for that individual or people or person, you were waiting for us to read through this in Romans 6. But we ask, Father, can you please empower that person? Empower each of us, Father. Help us, Lord. We need to live in the empowerment of your spirit that we can keep presenting ourselves to you. A living sacrifice. And present the members of our bodies that are causing us to sin. And maybe it's our, our mouth from, from chewing off other people's ears. Chewing out people. Maybe it's our, our hearts, whatever it is, God. Each of us has something different that you're working on. Oh, but Father, help us to come back home, to be like that prodigal son, that we would simply come back to you, that we would know that if we just turn to you, you'll clothe us again, you'll embrace us again. So we ask, Father, please restore each and every one of us that needs it right now. Strengthen and encourage us in your ways. We ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.